Greetings, friends. It is the weekend of Sunday, January the 30th. It's the last Sunday in January. The time is moving on, isn't it? Well, today we're going to pick back up after a couple of awkward weeks with weather and illness and all those other types of things. We're going to pick back up with our our series on the parables, parables of Jesus. And we're looking at the third parable in sort of a a little mini series of parables that deal with watching and waiting, watching specifically for Jesus's return. And today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 through 30. And I'm reading in the ESV, a little more uh, familiar parable, perhaps than um, than certainly the parable of the 10 maidens. This is the parable of the talents. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. And he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And, and he made five talents more. So, so also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground And hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather why I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was mine own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, will more, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the familiar familiar uh, parable of the talents found in Matthew 25 is the third in this series that Jesus gave his disciples at, at the close of this great Olivet Discourse. And after outlining the course of events from the time of his first coming through the destruction of Jerusalem under the Roman armies and the turbulent movements that would flow through the, the, the age after that before he came again, He closes with a word of admonition contained in one word. And that one word, which I hope we understand now, is watch. And to then to expound what that word means, watch, he's given us these parables. And they describe what it means to be watching for his return. 
It does not mean gazing up in the sky or holding continuous prayer meetings dressed in white robes, selling all of our property, or not being involved in life. This we've already seen. But it does involve three specific things. First of all, we've seen that the parable of the household tells us to feed on God's, on the Word of God. That's the primary responsibility of the body of Christ, to feed itself and others and so maintain our strength and our health. Jesus put this first because it's fundamental. If we do not feed on the Word of God, then then we're blind, we're starving, and we'll succumb to the illusions of the age in which we live, whatever age that may be. So the first part of watching is feeding, eating. The second parable is the ten maidens. And there we learn that not only feeding on the word just just for sustenance, but we ha- it has to go deep. There's this ministry of the Holy Spirit to not only instruct the head, but to live, to dwell in the heart. That is essential. Without that, there can be no true watching for his return. So now we come to the parable of the talents. And this adds another element of what it means to watch. So the story is introduced, verse 14 through 18. For it will be as when a man going on a journey called his servants and trusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. And then he went away. And he who received the five talents went at once and traded with them. He made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. First, that's 14 through 18. That was from the RSV translation. So it's evident here, um, even early in this story, that we have the same basic pattern as we've seen in the other two parables. Here's a master who is is absent, and and certain ones are waiting for the return of that Lord, of their absent Lord. And so clearly, it's another parable addressed to us. We are waiting for the return again of Jesus Christ to earth. So we're like these servants who are waiting for the return of their masters. So the parable then is, is indeed instructed uh, to, to us during this specific time. Now, the central question in the parable is, what do these talents represent? So this ought to sort of spark our interest a bit and, and give us a little stirring because this is, a, this is a search, right? It's a search for hidden truth. And when we learn what these talents mean, we'll know what it is Jesus is saying in the story. And if we know what he's saying, then we can discover a truth that's enriching, it's exciting, it's, it will add to our spiritual development. So in all these parables, there's certain clues given, and it's important in reading the parables to look for the clues. So there are some who take the word talent as referring to natural gifts that each of us possess. They say the teaching of this parable is that we're to use our talents for the Lord's sake. But if we read the parable that way, I think we're being misled by the modern use of the word talent. Talent to us means an ability, a, cap- a capacity, a natural ability to do something. We, we may have a talent perhaps for singing Um, for organizing, for leadership, for athletics, for academics, whatever it may be. But that's not what talent means here. See, in in biblical times, a talent meant a weight of money, a considerable weight. It would equal, we think, about $1,000, one talent. So Jesus, when he went away, distributed money among his servants, a considerable amount. 
Now, the talents represent something definite in our lives, but I hope that we'll see in a minute, it does not represent our natural ability. When they spoke of a many talented man in biblical uh, days, they did not mean someone with great natural gifts. They meant someone who was very wealthy. So to put your talents to work meant you invested your money. There are also certain ones who read this parable as though it referred to the Christian's use of their time in order to determine what reward will belong to them when Jesus returns. But that's not the issue here either. So we only have to read the last verse of the story to see that that's not the case. It's not a matter of, of reward for Christians, but it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of salvation. As verse 30 clearly indicates, the last word of Jesus concerning the one talented man is, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. Their men will weep and gnash their teeth. In other words, he is eternally lost. That's something we don't like to talk about. It's not very popular, but that is called hell. So it's not dealing with the rewards of Christians, but with the eternal destiny of men and women. So that brings us to the central question. Well, what are these talents? Well, there there are at least four clues that are given that help us in figuring this out. The first one's in the 14th verse. For it will be as when a man going on a journey called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So the Lord in the story, of course, is representative of Jesus who has gone away. And before he went, he distributed his property. So the talent here in, in the story represents something that belongs to God, not to men. It's not something we have. It's something he owns and distributes among people according to his will, according to the way he wants to do it. So that's the first clue. Anything we feel that uh, this means we, we'll have to be tested against that requirement. It, it must be something that belongs to God, not to man. The second clue is found in the next verse, uh, verse 15, the first part of verse 15, Matthew 25. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. That last phrase, to each according his ability, is the clue. The property that belongs to God is given to us on the basis of natural abilities. It's on the basis, in other words, of our natural gifts. The talents then do not represent the natural gifts. They are something that is related to them, but they're not the same thing. They are something that's given on the basis of the fact that we have a certain natural gift. Now, the third clue is implied in the whole story. It's not stated directly, it's implied. And it is that these talents are something that the Lord gave in order that they might be invested. So they are something that can be risked, something that can be ventured. So these men were, put, were to put them to work earning more. They were to risk, to invest. So the talents represent in our lives something that, first of all, is God's property. It's not ours, it's his. Secondly, it's given to us on the basis of natural giftedness. And third, it's meant to be put to work, to invest it. It's meant to be risked, risked. So now we have one more clue, and it's related to the last one. It's clear from the story that the investment of talents is made on behalf of the absent Lord, not the servant. It's something that the servant risks to benefit the absent Lord. It is something that they do in order to help the master. The risk is taken by the servant 
the benefit will belong to the Lord. The servant is expected to do this without deducting any broker's fee, so to speak, for the risk taken. Well, what is it? Well, let's ask ourselves. Here we have the, the clue, something that's God's property. It's not ours, but it's distributed to each of us who professes to be followers of Jesus on the basis of natural abilities we have, which, by the way, come from him, is something that we can risk, but not for our sake, for the Lord's. So what is it? Well, let's put it this way. Having certain natural gifts within us, young people are beginning to discover abilities, talents, gifts, right? What are we going to do with them once we have discovered them? Well, older folks, having found that we have certain gifts, uh, what then do we look for? Well, opportunity to exercise them. We are looking for the opportunity to put our gifts to work. But have we discovered that those opportunities are not something we can create? They are something that God determines. Who of us has not talked about, you know, the lucky breaks, quote unquote? that we've had in order to show our abilities, to give us a chance. These, these lucky breaks, as we call them, are God-given opportunities. If we think that we can engineer them, how many of us can also remember the times we've experienced what we would call a bad break, quote-unquote, when we thought that we had an opportunity right, right in front of us, but it slipped through our fingers and disappeared? So it is apparent that these opportunities do not belong to us because, friends, they are God's property. They are given to us. So now, if we've proceeded accurately here, we will see that the talents represent the opportunities that come to us as professing believers in Jesus Christ to invest and utilize the natural abilities that God has given us, not for our own behalf, but for Jesus's sake. Those opportunities are the talents. I hope that's clear. They're the moments of decision when we are confronted with the question of whether we are willing to invest our life and risk the loss of something we want in order that God may have something that he wants. That's the test. So who's not faced that question at one time or another? Perhaps it was when we had to decide, you know, what am I going to do with my life? Where, where am I going to live? What am I going to do with myself? What am I going to live for? What am I going to be about? What purpose is my life going to be about? You know, we might be facing that question right now. We face it over and over again. Perhaps it's the question that, that may come to some of us, like, how am I going to invest my time? It's amazing how often these moments come and, and what fateful decisions that they can be. It, it may come on moral issues, you know, it can. Whatever the decision may be, this is what Jesus is referring to. These opportunities to invest our life, to risk our life for his sake or save it for ourselves, are God-given opportunities which he provides. So in that fateful moment, when we hang there, a moment of crisis and decision, now Jesus goes on to show that a time of accounting is going to come. Now after a long time, notice that. Here again, it's that clear statement from Jesus that his coming will be long delayed. We're not told when. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he had, he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more saying, master, you delivered to me these five talents. Well, here I have made five more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
So the first man has made 100% return on the opportunities and the talents given to him. In terms of the application of this to our lives, it means that here's a man who made full use of his opportunities to risk himself for, for Jesus' sake. In other words, he put, the, he put first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He risked himself. He took the chance that he might never have the prominence, influence, power that he could have had, but instead... He deliberately invested his life to give God what he wanted. The binding up of the brokenhearted, the healing of the sick, deliverance of the captives, setting free of those who were bound. So as a result of this investing of himself, he won five more talents. Now, what are these talents? Well, if the, if the first talents are opportunities to use natural gifts for Christ's sake, for Jesus' sake, then the second category of talents must likewise be opportunities but somehow opportunities on a higher level, maybe not on the physical and natural, but on a spiritual level. These are opportunities to use the spiritual gifts that are given to us as those who have been redeemed, given without exception to every follower of Jesus. It's the use of these gifts that translates our life into impact and power on behalf of Jesus Christ. To this man, the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. I know there's a common idea that every believer will hear Jesus say, well done, when we get to glory. <clears throat> well, the scriptures make clear that there's the possibility that though we may be in heaven with Jesus, by virtue of his saving life and death, that salvation, the gift, it's, it's grace, it's given to us, we do so as those who are saved as though by fire. That's 1 Corinthians 3.15, having lost much of the possibilities and potential of our lives. To that man, the Lord may not say, well done, good and faithful servant. But in the parable, he says, <clears throat> well done. And then he says, enter into the joy of your master. Well, what is that joy? So if you remember back in the book of Hebrews, we looked at Hebrews chapter 12. It is said of Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews 12, 2. What is that joy? The joy was that set before him. We only have to read the Gospels to see it. It is the joy of satisfying the heart of God. It is the joy of enduring blood, sweat, and tears in order that a loved one may have their heart's desire. It is the joy of presenting a redeemed world to Jesus. Enter into the joy of your master. It's not merely a moment of glory. These joys are eternal joys. They never lose their glory. This man, man enters into a joy that lasts forever. And so now we take the next man. And he who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Well, this man only gained two talents. Well, is that 50%? No, that too is 100%. He gained as much proportionately as the one who had five to begin with. He's not as gifted, we could say, as the other man, but he is equally committed, equally faithful. He has used his opportunities to the full. He's risked himself for the cause of Christ. To that man, Jesus also says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There's not one syllable of difference 
between what he says to the man with two talents and what he says to the man with five. But now we come to the third man and the heart of the parable. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not winnow, so I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what's yours. But his servant, excuse me, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I have not winnowed. Then you ought to have invested my money with bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him. Give it to him with the 10 talents for everyone who has will be given more and he will have abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. Their men will weep and gnash their teeth. Now, we may feel that, hey, Jesus is being very harsh with this man, who at least had a sense of responsibility to see that his master got back what he had given him. But the key to the parable is contained in the phrase, to him who has will more be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So what does Jesus mean by that? I think this is a revelation of the basic purpose of life. This is why we're here. Fundamentally, God puts people into the world in order that they may increase, may grow. This is a fundamental law of life. If life does not increase and grow, it's not life. It's dead already. It may look like it's alive, but it's not. It's, just, it's, it's true of plants in your yard. It's true of animals around. It's true of you and me as human beings, both physically and spiritually. It is a failure to thrive. It's the fundamental purpose of life. If there is no increase, if there's no growth, then there is no life. And that is what Jesus is saying. It is essential that life grow and essential to the process of growth in, in humanity is redemption. How can we grow and fulfill our humanity unless we grow in the totality of who we are, body, soul, spirit? And that is only possible to those who know Jesus Christ. And it's him who makes possible the fulfillment of God's intention for humanity. So this reveals to us the character of the one talent that's given to this man. What is his nature? It's the opportunity to be reborn, the opportunity to be redeemed, that is the talent given to anyone who comes under the hearing of the gospel, who in any sense becomes related to the Lord Jesus Christ as an outwardly professing follower, a Christian. They are given the opportunity to risk their life in commitment to Jesus. One supreme risk was possible to, the, to this man, and it was possible all during the time of his master's absence. But how did the man treat it? Well, he buried it. That means he put it out of his sight. He did not want, he didn't want to face it. He did not want to look at it. He did not want honestly to face the demands of that opportunity. He buried it in the ground and rejected it. And then he prepares a little speech to justify it all when the Lord returned. You, we can read it. We can see that he has, he's probably rehearsed it many times. He's, he's all ready when the Lord returns. And he says to him, in effect, look, when it all boils down to the final things, it's your fault. I, I knew you. You're the kind of man you are. You're, you're hard. You're a grasping individual. You expect people to do your dirty work for you, but you get all the benefits. You're unreasonable in your demands. 
If people don't come through with what you expect, you blame them for it. But, but I've outwitted you. I've got exactly what you gave me. Here it is. You and I are even. Now notice what the master says. He doesn't argue. He does not debate his own character with the man. He takes him at his own appraisal. He plays into it. He sort of agrees with him for the sake of it. Notice that in verse 26 ends in a question mark. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gathered where I have not winnowed? Question mark. He's, he's not agreeing with the man. He's simply saying, is that what you thought of me? All right. Then why didn't you act on that basis? If you thought that was the kind of man I am, then surely you would know that not to invest this money at all would, would hardly be pleasing. If you really wanted to be pleasing to me, in other words, if you really wanted to be the servant you call yourself, then why didn't you at least put the money in the bank and let me have the interest when I return? In those words, Jesus makes clear the real problem. The trouble is this man did not intend to be a servant. He was not at all interested in his master's interest. He was interested in his own. He was taking the role of a servant, but he was unwilling to fulfill it. He was pretending to be what he was not. And when the Lord returned, he simply revealed the hypocrisy of the man. Therefore, he is justified in what he says. Cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness. Their men will weep and gnash their teeth. He's a phony. And then he's, he's, been, he's been outed. He's been revealed as a phony. And now, what is the final message of this to us? It's not only that we must be honest and grasping that one great opportunity that comes to any, anyone who sits under the hearing of the gospel is to invest our life, to risk it for Christ's sake. But he's also saying to us, to those who have five talents or two talents, risk them, live dangerously, venture, put your opportunities to work for my sake. Don't bottle up your life and try to hang on to it, lose it for Jesus' sake. Give it up. I believe that perhaps as never before in our lifetime, we are facing times that demand this kind of living. The whole fabric of society is deteriorating before our very eyes. We know it. We see it. We see it happening in our communities. Forces of anger, unreason, rioting are taking over and the law and order seems to be able to do very little about it. What does that mean? Well, it means that the church, the salt in a community is not acting as salt. We are trying to withdraw from life or even worse, play the world's game on a worldly level. Meaning what the first thing people know about us what is the first thing people know about us? Is it our political affiliation? Is it our stance on vaccinations? Is it our view on immigration, on homosexuality, on abortion? Or is the first thing that people know about us is that we are in love with Jesus Christ? Is it not involving itself? It is contending itself with having a way to heaven and letting the rest of the world go to hell? As a result, life begins to crumble all around. And I believe we have reached a time when the necessity of risking as Jesus sets forth here is clearly in front of all of us. What do we do with our opportunities? 
for whom are we living? For whom am I living for? Am I living for my own interest and the luxury and the welfare of my own family to have a comfortable life? Or or are we ready to risk something for Jesus' sake? And when we've reached that time when God is shaking us down, when we have to be real, and and friends, it's going to get real. We cannot go on playing church. We must be what God says we are and what we claim to be. And that means that we must be involved in God's program, risking ourselves for his name's sake. That's the story of the New Testament, is it not? With what joy these, these early disciples risked themselves, as the book of Hebrews puts it, they took joyfully the spoiling of their goods in order that the cause of Jesus Christ might be advanced. We are in need of teachers, those who will spend their time and effort in reaching and loving. We are in need of money for missions, for projects, for pressing programs. We are in need of the commitment of time, effort, and prayers. We need to be sought to arrest corruption. We need to put to the work to work the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are widely abundant in the church. I tell you, it's been encouraging to see how many of us are waking up and discovering the excitement of living life as God intended life to be lived. Trying to put life back into focus, back into perspective that scripture gives, not that a platform that's dictated to us gives. And thank God for those who are catching on, who are demonstrating this kind of living. But there's a need for so many more. And here is the appeal, not of me, but of Jesus Christ. Are we waiting for his return? Are we watching? Well, then, are we ready to risk for his name's sake? Amen. And God bless.